Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Welcome to America's Heroes Group on WVON 1690 AM, the talk of Chicago. I am Vietnam veteran host Cliff Kelly. America's Heroes Group is a live streaming podcast, global platform, radio, print, and digital media broadcast show that empowers change agents through intentionally disseminating information, resources, and referrals to empower our military population. And welcome to America's Heroes Group. We are partnered with Jesse Brown VA Works. March is National History, Women's History, and Disability Awareness Month. Today is Saturday, March 12th, 2022. You just heard our, our host, Cliff Kelly. I'm Sean Claiborne, the co-host. Our executive producer is Glenda Smith, and our digital media producer is Ivan Ortega of Scouts Honor Productions. We have a great show today. We want to talk about a lot of good things that pertain to veterans. And remember, the thing that we do here at America's Heroes Group, we are here to help veterans get their benefits, get to the, the, the respect that they deserve, and also be honored in the way that we should be honoring with them with the things that we contracted these veterans for their service. And today we have our panelist, Dr. Rajiv Mehta, a medical doctor. He's a board-certified ear, nose, and throat specialist and a clinical assistant professor at the Jesse Brown VA Medical Center. He has 25 years of experience in this field. We're going to talk about Jesse Brown's VA sleep apnea program. Welcome, doctor. How are you doing? Thank you. Doing great. Glad to be here. So tell us about sleep apnea. So my doctor says that I should get tested for sleep apnea because it's something they're concerned about. What is exactly is sleep apnea? How pervasive is it in the community? Yes, yeah, sleep apnea is a, a very underdiagnosed condition. We estimate that about 38% of the world's population suffers from sleep apnea, and the symptoms include snoring, um, pauses in the breathing, uh, feeling tired and not refreshed when you wake up from sleep. Um, and sleep apnea is basically where when you when the when the patient falls into the deeper stages of sleep, the muscles of the throat relax, causing a collapsed airway and an obstruction. So there's pauses of breathing for ten seconds, causing uh, drops in oxygen oxygen levels and causing the body to bring the patient back up to a lighter sleep in order so that they can resume breathing. This can happen uh, multiple times per hour, which causes reduced uh, sleep efficiency. What are the dangers of this? Is this something that can com- compound into something more serious? Yes. Uh, years of uh, untreated sleep apnea definitely uh, can affect your health. Uh, of course, immediately you can just wake up feeling tired and not have the energy that you should have, but years of untreated sleep apnea definitely puts you at higher risk for uh, heart attacks, uh, high blood pressure, heart failure, uh, stroke, irregular heartbeats, uh, as well as uh, putting you at increased risk for uh, car accidents and uh, work-related injuries. So I've heard that, um, that sleep apnea goes hand-in-hand oftentimes with AFib, atrial fibrillation. Is that correct? That's correct. Uh, there's about a four-fold increase in atrial fibrillation in patients who have sleep apnea. That's right. Wow. So what are some of the treatments? How do, first of all, how do, you, how do you find out if you have sleep apnea? And then what is the step to try to treat it? Yeah, I think one of the reasons it's very underdiagnosed is because we're sleeping and we don't really realize what's happening to us. And a lot of times it's the uh, bed partner that uh, pushes us to uh, go to the doctor for help. Um, and if you go to your doctor and explain the symptoms or your, your bed partner explains your symptoms, uh, they're going to order a sleep study. We spend the night 
in a sleep lab. Uh, it looks a bit like a hotel room. They put a lot of monitors on you for your heart and uh, uh, oxygen monitors on the finger. Uh, they were going to put a little uh, sensor under your nose to detect breathing, and then you sleep, and they're going to be able to say uh, determine how many times per hour you stop breathing, uh, how low your oxygen level drops, and uh, how much time you spend in the different stages of sleep. What's the difference between, say, just regular snoring and then sleep apnea? So there is there comes some kind of uh, threshold that you have to measure? Right. Uh, so snoring is often a symptom of sleep apnea. Um, and uh, so there are patients who snore and don't have sleep apnea, but the vast majority of those patients, uh, although they don't know it or don't suspect it, actually probably do have sleep apnea. So we'll measure how many times they stop breathing in, in that night of the sleep study. We'll divide that by the number of hours they slept, and we'll get a we'll get an apnea hypopnea index. We abbreviate that AHI, which basically tells us how many times an hour you stop breathing. And so, if they have less than five, then we consider that normal. Five to fifteen is mild. Fifteen to thirty is moderate, and more than thirty is considered severe. Hmm. Now, stop when you stop breathing. That sounds very serious. Like like when you're sleeping, is it is there a danger where you might not wake up if you have a sleep apnea event? Can you like suffocate when you're having sleep apnea? Uh, yes, that's that's very rare, but uh, the most uh, severe and worst-case scenario uh, is where patients could obstruct and, and not wake up. That's true and die in their sleep. Wow. Uh, what's more common is that it uh, erodes their health gradually and slowly over many years. Now, I read something in your profile about an implant. Uh, is that the Inspire uh, mechanism that we're talking about? Correct, correct. So our first-line treatment for sleep ap- obstructive sleep apnea is actually CPAP, and that stands for Constative Positive Airway Pressure. And so that is where a patient would wear a mask, which is connected to a hose, which is connected to a machine that basically generates air pressure. So when the patient's sleeping at night, it's able to keep their throat open even when they fall into those deep stages of sleep and prevents the tissues from obstru- obstructing using air pressure. And, and that and that works very well, and, and the good thing is that it doesn't involve surgery, and so there's no risk. Unfortunately, about a third of patients are not able to tolerate sleeping with a mask on their face. It's uncomfortable, and, uh, you know, the hose is uh, cumbersome, and they also have to take it with them when they travel, and uh, sometimes the noise affects uh, their sleeping partner. And so since one-third of patients are not able to use CPAP, a lot of patients end up uh, not completely not treating their sleep apnea or ignoring it, and so we've come up. We've there is a new um, surgical option which is called Inspire, as you mentioned, and basically this is a uh, implanted pacemaker uh, that we place into the chest. We tunnel a wire up into their neck with a second incision, and that uh, is wrapped around uh, the nerve that moves your tongue, and so we're able to have the patient uh, use a remote control to turn on this device when they go to sleep and turn it off at night. And that is another uh, way to treat sleep apnea. Has this been pretty well received, this type of surgery? Yes, we've done uh, several patients uh, at the Jesse Brown VA uh, Medical Center, and uh, so far the patients have been very happy. The literature shows a success rate of around 75%. 75% of people are actually are happy with the procedure? So 75% of people are uh, 
able to use Inspire and no longer have sleep apnea. Okay. Um, there's about 90% of bed partners who report that there is either very light snoring or no, no snoring at all after receiving the Inspire surgery. Okay. Now, what are some things that people can do besides surgery? So, like there are lifestyle changes that could be done. What are some of the risk factors to lead to sleep apnea? Right. Uh, well, um, aging, uh, males have more tendency to have sleep apnea than females, and uh, obesity is a big risk factor. So definitely losing weight uh, is uh, something that uh, everybody can do to help reduce their risk factors for sleep apnea. Mm. So are there any other things like alcohol or drug abuse or stress? Are those things are a factor. Are these, those things factors as well, or is it something? Yes, definitely. That's a good point. Uh Yes, uh, any any substance that uh, will cause sedation, so alcohol, uh, pain medications, uh, sleeping pills, uh, will all cause more relaxation of the throat, which will cause more obstruction. So avoiding alcohol, sleeping pills, um, you know, pain pain pills would all uh, improve sleep apnea for sure. So that leads me to this question. So say somebody that doesn't know they have sleep apnea. And they maybe take some – some, maybe they're not used to taking sleeping pills, but for some reason they start taking sleeping pills because oftentimes, particularly after the pandemic, it seems like a lot of people have been having trouble sleeping. Is, is it – could there be – can they be at risk of being one of those people that don't wake up if they maybe have some alcohol or a glass of wine and maybe take sleeping pills and then and do some kind of sleep apnea event? Yeah. I mean, definitely that is uh, a possible risk. Uh, I think those are in the most severe situations. Uh, but yes, that, that could happen. Okay. So what do you recommend for people to do in order to get, um, a treatment or how do they, how do they start the process of understanding if they have sleep apnea? What are the signs they should be looking out for in their own lives? Maybe they live alone. They don't have a part of it can tell them, Hey, you were snoring pretty bad last night, or this is a big problem. Right. So yeah, probably the easiest way is if you have, if you don't live alone, if you have a, a bed partner that can tell you, um, you could always uh, set up a, a video at night to so you could watch yourself in the morning um, or at least listen for the snoring. Uh, but if, you have, if you're tired, if you have trouble breathing out of your nose, uh, if you wake up with your mouth dry, which indicates that you're having trouble breathing out of your nose and your mouth breathing because you wake up in the morning with a dry mouth, uh, if you're tired during the day, if you're having trouble with memory, um, if you're, you know, in depression, all of these kind of uh, issues, then you should talk to your doctor. <laughs> my my uh, digital media producer is saying that's me. <laughs> I think I'm so about a lot of us. <laughs> so I mean, so yeah. this so this is the thing that I, that I'm I'm against as far as as far as the CPAP and that, the surgery sounds scary to me, to be honest with you. But having a mask on at night, I can't see myself sleeping with a mask on. So how do you? What's the mask like when you put a mask on? What does it feel like? Well, uh, you know, the mask is definitely uncomfortable. Um, and uh, like I said, about anywhere from 50 to uh, 25, 25 to 50% of patients are not able to use uh, CPAP, although they try. Um, but when we try to get patients to use CPAP, we try to uh, get them used to that mask. And I'll, one of the tricks is I'll tell patients to wear that mask uh, when they are awake watching TV in the evening, not attached to the CPAP machine when they're not trying to fall asleep, so they can just get used to that being on their face. It's kind of like these glasses 
you know, because I wear them every day, I kind of forget they're on my face. And sometimes I'm looking around for my glasses, right? And you're wearing them. And that's kind of what we want to get to with the CPAP mask. So that when you, so if you go straight to trying to wear it when you're sleeping, of course, you're, you're uh, interfering with your sleep and you get frustrated and you're going to throw it off and throw it on the floor. But if you could try to desensitize or get used to that thing being on your face before you're falling asleep for a week or two, then you can gradually uh, transition over to using it at night for sleep. Now, is it true you have to lay on your back with a seat with a mask on, a CPAP mask, or is that not true? Yeah, I mean, that it's, yeah, it's fairly true because uh, the problem is when you roll over, then the mask and the hose have to move with you. Uh, and, and definitely sleeping on your stomach would be very difficult with a CPAP mask with the way it sticks out in your face. So I think it might rule me out. Uh, but you're it. not alone. A lot of people are, have a trouble using CPAP, and that's why they uh, look for surgical alternatives. So how long has this been around, sleep apnea? Is this something that's relatively new, a new discovery, or has it been around for a long, long time? Or I, I, sleep, Of course, sleep apnea has been around um, you know, since the beginning of time, but I think we're becoming more aware of sleep apnea and its uh, health uh, concerns. I think as uh, obesity has increased in our country, I think sleep apnea has also increased in incidence, and our awareness has also increased. Um, the Inspire uh option has been around uh, with the FDA approval in 2014. Okay. And what do you think the future is going to be? What's, what's the next step in, in trying to, to help people with sleep apnea? All of our treatment options are designed at this point to try and keep that airway open at night um, when you're in deep sleep. And we can either do that with um, applying air pressure with CPAP or we do that by um, you know, stimulating the nerve that moves your tongue, and that keeps that um, airway open at night, and that's what Inspire does. Um, and so I think uh, the Inspire has come a long way, and I think they're continuing to make advances. Originally, uh, that surgery required three incisions and took over, you know, two or three hours. Now uh, it's a two-incision surgery and is done outpatient, and it takes about an hour and a half. Wow. So it's getting better. That's pretty good. And then some of the things I've seen on the Internet and YouTube and, and things like that show all these, these uh, remedies that you can do, people taking all kinds of concoctions, drinking like, certain things, taking certain kind of vitamins, eating certain kinds of foods. There's even those strips you put on your nose. Does any of those things work or are they a waste of time? Yeah, the, the, there's no pill or concoction that will uh, unfortunately take care of it. Uh, the Breathe Right strips with, that you mentioned uh, do work. Uh, I actually uh, – did some research on that in residency and published a paper on it. It improves your nasal breathing. I don't think uh, that would cure sleep apnea for the vast majority of patients, but uh, one of the things we do want to do uh, for patients who have sleep apnea is get them breathing better out of, their, out of their nose. It makes it easier for them to use a CPAP, and a nasal mask uh, is usually more comfortable than a full mask that uh, would cover your nose and your mouth. Uh, so a lot of times we do nasal surgery, uh, so that they're able to use their CPAP better. Okay. So really, wow. So nasal surgery, is it more like, is it like a cosmetic thing or is there something done behind in the nasal passage? What do you mean by nasal surgery? Right. Uh, so it's common for people to have trouble breathing out of their nose. And so then uh, if, and so uh, if we can, usually the cause is a deviated septum, uh, less common causes would be large adenoids or polyps. Uh, but the vast majority of patients, if we can fix their deviated septum, 
which is the middle wall of your nose. If it's crooked, we straighten that and open up their nose, and they're able to breathe better out of, better out of their nose. It makes it uh, easier for them to use CPAP. And then, so when people take the take, use the mask and they get the oxygen, or they have the surgery, like how, in their lives, how do they feel afterwards? Like, what do they report back? Do they say, "Oh my"? Because I've heard some people say they cannot sleep without their mask. Like they have to have it on, otherwise, you know, once they've done, once they did it the first time, they felt so different that they had to keep on doing it. So, what are some of the, what's the feedback that you get, and what's the, the spectrum? Do some people say this doesn't work at all? I, just, I feel the same way. Or do, does everybody have the same experience? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, those patients that are not treating their sleep apnea don't really realize how they could feel when they get a full night's sleep. And once a patient does get a really good night's sleep with one treatment option or another, as you said, they, they don't want to do without it. And there are, there, like I said, two-thirds of patients use CPAP, and uh, they love being able to feel refreshed when they wake up in the morning and they won't use it when they won't sleep without their CPAP, and they shouldn't. Uh, unfortunately, there's a third of patients who absolutely hate CPAP and are frustrated, have tried using it night after night, uh, and just stayed up all night battling with it. And they come in, uh, to my office, uh, absolutely determined never to touch that CPAP machine again. And for those patients, we have to have a alternative uh, because we can't have them, uh, you know, going on to those other health consequences that we talked about. So walk me through a, um, a sleep study. So this person comes down, I've done a couple myself, and, and my results were kind of inconclusive. And so I wasn't, I was kind of confused. I really didn't understand if I had sleep apnea or didn't have sleep apnea. Um, the first study I did, they said it wasn't that bad. I didn't really necessarily have to get a mask. The second time I did it, they were like, well, you know, talk to your doctor, these results. And I have to get a third one eventually. Um, so I'm on my way to my third uh, sleep study. What's the process? Walk, walk people through the process of doing a sleep a sleep study, and then what should you expect from the sleep study? Yeah. So, well, part of the problem, uh, I, I would assume that did you do your home sleep study? Did you do your sleep study at home or in the lab? In a lab. Oh, you did. Okay. A lot of insurance companies, in order to save money, are are requiring patients to do home sleep studies, which are not as accurate. And that's where you could get these inconclusive results. That's why I was uh, guessing maybe you had had that experience. But if you do an in-lab sleep study, most of the time, I mean, the vast majority of the time, they're going to be conclusive. They're going to tell you exactly how many times an hour you stop breathing, uh, how low your oxygen level dropped, how severe your sleep apnea is. and uh, so they're pretty conclusive. There are patients that most patients will come back after a sleep study and say, boy, I didn't sleep. I don't think they got any information. And, of course, uh, they slept three hours, which, you know, is not enough sleep. And so we feel like we didn't sleep. But three hours on a sleep study is enough most of the time for us to get information and to actually uh, come up with, a, you know, a rating of how severe your sleep apnea is. Uh, so I'm not I don't know in your situation why uh, it took three sleep studies. But generally, we'll do a sleep study. Um, and if your sleep apnea is mild, then it may take six hours to get enough uh, information to completely con- uh, be conclusive on uh, you know how bad your sleep apnea is. Many patients, uh, a lot of patients that I see have severe sleep apnea, and we can get the information in two hours or three hours. Wow. And then the second half of that sleep study, we can actually apply a CPAP machine, change the amount of pressure until their sleep apnea is completely resolved, uh, and that's called a CPAP titration study. So we can then tell the patient, okay, we can prescribe CPAP at a certain centimeters of water pressure for you to use at home because we found uh, the ideal pressure during the sleep study. 
Wow. And then is sleep is 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 uh this is our, my last question, but is sleep apnea any way related to insomnia? Uh, so they're both sleep disorders, but they're very different and almost opposites. Uh, insomnia is where uh, a patient has trouble falling asleep, uh, but in sleep apnea, those patients don't ever get a good night's sleep, and so they'll usually have no trouble falling asleep. They usually will fall asleep as soon as their head hits the pillow. They'll fall asleep when they're uh, sitting in the recliner watching football. Uh, you know, they fall asleep during movies uh, because they're chronically tired. Wow, and that could be a sign if you're doing that. Maybe that is a time to talk to your doctor, you know, because I see that. I see a lot of coworkers that <laughs> tend to do that. So <laughs> it makes me a little bit concerned. So thanks for your time. I really appreciate all the information you've given us. And also I appreciate the, this awareness that we have now of sleep apnea, something I think as veterans we need to stay on top of because a lot of us have sleep issues. It's almost like a, a rite of passage coming, coming through the military as you get a, a sleep disorder of some sort. So I appreciate your time, doctor. Thanks and come back. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. This is America's Heroes Group. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. Thank you for listening to America's Heroes Group podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss an episode. And for more details, visit americashg.org.